Hello and welcome to the Backstreet Boys podcast. We're all back together again. Mm. For two times in a row. I can't believe it. it's been two <laughs> weeks in a row. When has that ever happened? <laughs> anyway, I'm Jodie. I'm Claire. And I'm Bayer. We're the Backstreet Boys and Girl. And Girl. Yes, thank you. <laughs> so Claire, what are we chatting about this week? Oh gosh. Well, last week was all about the Commonwealth Games. Yeah. And I think understandably so, because for so many reasons it was an exciting Commonwealth with a real diverse range of nations and individuals thriving. But the season is well and truly underway now. So Diamond League is back. We've had a couple of fantastic major marathons. Um, And of course, there's the latest instalment in the testosterone saga, which is just dragging itself through athletics history. But first, before we turn on something as political as that, (laughs) shall we chat about the most refreshing marathon I've seen in years, the Boston Marathon? Well, Claire, you're going to have to tell us about it because we were off in Australia on our kind of on our way back and it was in Boston so the time difference was insane for us um, kind of missed it till we got back into the UK and I didn't see it on TV I've read about it obviously but you actually watched it I did and it was just so topsy-turvy <laughs> you could not have written a more interesting script for it essentially Des Linden won the women's race in a tsunami the weather <laughs> was absolutely abominable and the 36-year-old who made her debut there in 2007, finished second in 2011 by a painful two seconds, managed to, whilst helping her own US teammates to do well in such awful conditions, win herself, which was amazing, and a fairy tale ending for her, becoming the first US woman to win it since 1985. <laughs> and then in the men's race, when you think there couldn't be any more drama, Yuki Kawauchi won in, admittedly, two hours 15.58, the slowest since the 70s, Um, but managed to beat all these professional Nike-sponsored full-time Kenyans back into the, you know, not even in the medals, and just led pretty much from beginning to end and then went off and ran a half marathon the week afterwards. (laughs) I mean, like, what is going on? But I was reading about Des Linden, and she said she was going to drop out about 15 miles, and she she just stayed in to pace... I think it was Molly Huddle. Molly Huddle or Mm. Shalane Fanagan, and then someone else, she thought, I'll just go to this bit, and then suddenly she felt a bit better, and then she won. And she didn't realise. And the girl who came second isn't even a professional runner. She was in college, but gave up and she's a dentist. Sarah Sillers. She's a full-time anaesthetist. Anaesthetist. (laughs) That doesn't happen. But this was all down to the weather, wasn't it? Yeah. The weather was horrendous. I've never seen anything like Mm. it, I don't think. Is that that true? Definitely. It was torrential rain, driving winds, absolutely freezing, so cold that one of the athletes, and I can't remember who it was, but she said in her interview after the race, um, the interviewer said what was going on where you were like pulling at your wrists and scratching at your wrists while you were running along she was so cold that she hadn't realized she'd already taken her gloves off so as she was running along she was trying to remove her gloves because her hands felt weird and numb but that was because they were so cold and she was almost disorientated and just completely out of it because the weather was so bad Shalane Flanagan said she couldn't feel her legs for the second half of the race I mean disgusting disgusting weather it's, it's weird isn't it because we, we think of bad marathon weather as being too hot yeah. as it was mm. as we saw in the, in the Gold Coast like a couple of weeks back but at the same time equally bad if not worse probably is wet because when you're running to be drenched you, dren- you used to be drenched in sweat but to be drenched mm. in rain and then to have that the moisture in your shoes squelching or the chafing that's going on just dripping just constantly distracted by that kind of thing mm. must be just awful you know just just awful i'm i mean i don't do lots of running but when i do run i can't have any distractions i see people especially good girls with ponytails or hair flapping about you get so i so can't with that people running with bags on that bounce up and down yeah. i can't have any of that i enter shorts and a shirt and my my um, phone or whatever i'm listening to music strapped to my arm i can't be having anything so if you've got mm. rain coming in one way and wind coming in the other direction I just get, I do my head in. But I also, when I see people out running, you say, as you say, with bags and things on, or even to me, oh, if I'm running on the, with rucksacks. Oh, yeah. how can you do that? So you, know, so you see people like running to work or back mm-hmm. or something, you just, when they've got their, their work clothes in the back, how can you do that? Um, the worst thing to me is when you see people running and it's kind of, maybe they've just finished work and they're stopping at roads and having to weave in out of people. I can't have any distractions like that at all, be it bags or rain or people. I just need yeah. a straight line to run down, you know? People who run, this isn't strictly relevant to really marathon level running, but people who run with those water bottles that are shaped like oval donuts. <laughs> what, what are you doing? You can last without water. Yeah, unless you're running at the marathon distance. It's, yeah, like, exactly. it's not necessary, is it? Oh, it's one of my pet peeves. <laughs> but so the guy who won the won the Boston Marathon, he's not a full-time... Well, he, he runs a lot of marathons, mm. but he's not professional. No, he's not. He's someone who just genuinely seems to run for enjoyment 
of running and also he's got a real thing about competing in as many races as he possibly can Yuki ran how many did you run 12 marathons in 2017 <laughs> a marathon a month and they're not slow marathons I think I read somewhere that he's got the most sub sub 2 hours 15 or yeah sub 2 hours 15 marathons ever of anyone oh. at elite level because he just loves to compete so in the last 2 weeks since the Boston Marathon he has done Boston he did a half marathon a week afterwards and then in the fortnight after that he ran a further 3 half marathons and he doesn't treat them as fun runs. He wins them. Although I think he might actually, come to think of it, have done one recently in a costume. <laughs> oh, isn't he the world record holder for something? Running something in a Superman suit or oh, something? Oh, probably. <laughs> he is a Superman. I love him because, I mean, two reasons. I, I, well, number one, he sounds a bit mad. But also, nowadays, obviously it's good to have professional athletes and it's good that they get opportunities to do, I don't know, warm weather training and all this of it. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you just want to get back to the basis of just someone just running. Like, yeah. without all the, what's your CO max, what's this, what have you done on this treadmill, what's your interval, blah, blah, just go out and run loads. I think we've missed that in athletics yes. a little bit these days. Um, so it's good to hear about someone having that kind of success yeah. and there's, actually winning a, uh, mm-hmm. a, one of the big marathons. There's the cliche, all the gear and no idea. Yeah. And I feel he's all the idea and <laughs> he cares about the gear. He went out, you know, hit the front at the start of the race, led, I think, until 17 miles when Jeffrey Karui, who eventually finished second took over the lead. Um, Curry surges off, runs a couple of bonkers mile splits, and then starts flagging to the extent that he ran a 6.29 mile in the latter stages Sounds of the race. Sounds fast to me. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, you know, there are fun runners, not fun runners, but yeah. fit human beings, Joe Bloggs says, who can run a 6.29 mile. You do not see that at elite level running, which allowed Yuki to catch him up at 40 kilometres and just hold on for the last two kilometres I'm sure he was pinched. If he had feeling in his hands by that point, I'm sure yeah. he was pinching himself. Well, that was cool. It was very different at the London Marathon. I mean, Completely. they did some crazy splits as well. <laughs> but um, London Marathon, I thought it was a really enjoyable marathon. Mm. Um, for bo- both the races were... Did you watch it on TV or did you go down? See, I don't, I'm not a fan of... I've been to the, down to the London Marathon once. It goes... It precisely about, once in 38 years. Or yeah, something. and it goes less than a mile from my front door <laughs> <laughs> but I, you go and you stand and you watch them on past ones I'd rather watch it on TV and be able to see everything although I'm not going to get into a TV coverage it was abominable but um, at least you know you kind of get a gist of what's going on um, in both races the men started off way too fast way too fast which they seem to do all the time I don't, and especially in London which although it is a fast course it's not an ultra-fast course, and it, the beginning is quite fast mm. anyway, because it's downhill. Guess how fast that first mile was for the men. What was it? 4.22. <laughs> Which is what pace? Like two... Well, they went through 10k at 28.19. What? Just silly, and on, on a hot day. Yeah, it was know hot. that the heat hot, affected yeah. them, because... And I don't know which one of you is going to want to answer first, rise first to this bait, but obviously that <laughs> meant that there was a bit of tension around the water tables. <laughs> There certainly was a bit of tension around the water. Well, there wasn't tension. One person had a problem. Um, Mo did great. He broke the British record, which I would think would would have been his main aim. Um, two six something or other. I don't. Know, I think he broke it by a minute, didn't he? Two six twenty one is yeah. what I've got scribbled down. So um, the great great run, great not marathon debut, but like his first proper mm. serious marathon. Um, but there's some lessons to be learned, and I'm surprised that he didn't try and incorporate them into this race. Why he went off at two, two hour pace, two or one pace, doesn't make any sense to me. I think it shows a little bit of a lack of respect for the discipline and for his competitors. And also that whole drama around the water bottle. It was his responsibility to pick up a water bottle. And then because he didn't, to start remonstrating with people, with, with the motorbike, the officials on the motorbike, yeah. and complaining because someone was taking a photo of him. And at the end he said the staff... The st- no staff have yeah. given him his bottle. It's not their job. They're probably volunteers, and good if they can get a, a photo. I think the semantics of staff is yeah, that really was, interesting. That was a very poor yes, choice of. It's really, really poor choice of words. Really yeah. poor choice of words. But also, just to um, your immediate thing is to be to blame someone else when you've made the mistake of not picking up a bottle. Wasn't good optics. His first marathon, he'll learn. He's. I mean, we know that Mo learns. We know that yes. tactically, he's really good. Marathons are very different to running on the on the roads. You can't just sit behind someone and kick. You're not going to be able to do that in a marathon. Overall, I think it was a good first um, first marathon. I think he's probably learned a lot from it. And I'm really looking forward to him being a marathon runner who will 
race rather than just go for times because a lot of the guys who've moved up from the track to the marathon, Hayley Gubbis-Lassie specifically, realised that the marathon isn't as easy as he thought it might be. Yeah. Had a couple of no, no finishes, yeah, um, a couple of, yeah, couple of losses, and then just turned to running um, time, trials. time trials. And that's how he broke the world record a couple of times because he literally just set up with him and some pacemakers. I don't see Mo doing that. On the track, we criticise no. him a little bit for not going for a few more times because mm-hmm. I think to be the best ever, you have to have both. But on the, in the marathon, I really hope he learns how to race the marathon because that's what you're going to have to do to win championships, which has always been his... Especially as, you know, we know if he can keep up with them till that last, uh, you know, 800 metres or whatever, the likelihood is no one's going to be out sprinting, even at the end of a marathon. It's unlikely. Obviously, things change after a marathon. We know, like, <laughs> we, we, we know someone's um, sprint finish is not the same. But, you know, as long as if he can be there, then he's got a very good chance of, of that being the case. But it's a getting to the point where you can be there at the top the crazy crazy times that people are running these days will he ever though be in contention with that smaller distance to go given that Kipchoge is laying down that you know putting a pedal to the floor at about 30 kilometres yeah. and no one can stay with him but we're, I'm talking more here about um, championship marathons which oh. I think knowing um, what Mo is like and knowing what Mo has done in his career so far he's clearly been way more about championships than he has about um, the times of the Grand Prix. I would like it if he did the same in the marathon because I think there are gold medals in championship marathons um, which are wide open for taking because champion, everything goes out the window when we're in a championship marathon, doesn't it? Um, very seldom does like the favourite, favourite win. Things happen. Often the favourites aren't there also. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Well, that's what I was going to say. Elliot Kipchoge, he won the Olympics. Yeah. I don't think he's done another championship not marathon. marathon. Well, he's only lost one marathon, hasn't he? So he can't have done because he's not so he, so and everyone's talking about how he's the greatest ever. And that's the funny thing about the marathon. You yeah. don't have to succeed at championships no. to be one of the greatest ever. He's won eight in a row now. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's unheard of. But for me, you have to have both. You have to have the championships and the fast times and the big city marathon wins. He has got that, but he needs a couple more championship wins. I'd love to see him at the World Championships and then the Olympics. Yeah. And before he's done that, um, I don't think you can say... But, but if he's not going to be there, then... That, that leaves things wide open Absolutely. for the likes of, of a Mo who mm-hmm. can go in and run 2-0 because you know, you'll win a, you'll win a, 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 a championship marathon in like seven, six, seven, eight. You know, it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a 3 or a 4 does it um, and at that pace I'm confident that Mo would and have very very people. few marathons of championship marathons have been won that even that fast you don't, you don't have pacemakers do you no yeah. I mean, and also do you remember was it two, who, who won in 2008 Kenyon who then died uh, he fell off a roof. Yeah, him. He, they actually had a plan that time because Kenyans say we lose too many marathons at the championships because we let it be slow. And he went and ran two oh six at the at the at the Olympics. And that's what people are going to have. That's what people have to learn yeah. to do at, at a championships. It's a very difficult thing to do when there's just three of you. You don't have any pacemakers. Completely alien to Mo Farah. Yes. Completely different Which way of could, approaching yeah. race. But I mean, just imagine if Mo turns up at the next Olympics doing the marathon <laughs> and wins. I mean, really, seriously, we've had. I would, criticism isn't the right word, but the the, um, the most success, which has been amazing, we've mm. always been slightly cornered, I think, because of the times aspect of it. But if you went and won an Olympic marathon after everything else, that would be it. Done. Go. British. Go. Yeah, absolutely. No, no <laughs> doubt about it. Will Mo win in Berlin? What's he going to do? Is he going to do the marathon? Surely he'll go to Europeans and do the marathon. Oh, I hadn't even given that any thought. I hadn't given that any thought If either. he did, would he win? I, I would imagine so. Yeah. But I would have thought he would be thinking of making money in the big cities and possibly doing the World or Olympic Marathon. I can't imagine him. It feels the European Marathon just feels a bit beneath him in the worst possible way. <laughs> Think how well, though, the GB team would do. So we've got Callum Hawkins, we've got Danny Griffiths, yeah. Mo Farah. I mean, um, oh, what's the name of the young man who ran the amazing qualifier and then didn't get picked for the Commonwealths? Who we had a whole discussion about. Yes. Him? Him. Yeah, we're so bad with names on this podcast. I feel we really know about the running and the jumping and the throwing, but the naming, not great. But yeah, we'd have such a fantastic compliment. I mean, competition for spots is going to be fierce, and that's great. Personally, I would absolutely love it if he did that. Mm. But I can't help thinking that with all the training he's putting in and the money that can be made, throwing a marathon away on the Europeans when he could do a late season one is probably... I agree, but if you want to learn how to win at a championship, that's the thing to do. Perfect training ground. What a perfect place to learn. And many, many people have have gone... Like Steve Jones, remember, he just broke Steve Jones' um, British record. Steve Jones, I think, was the world record holder, second, yeah, in 86 in Stuttgart. And he totally messed up the championship marathon. Mm. He went off miles ahead, totally blew up, didn't finish. 
So, um, Championship Marathon Running is very, very, very different to Big City Marathon Running. Hi, I'm Sally Pearson and you're listening to the Backstraight Boys. <laughs> so it's all roses for Mo, which is nice <laughs> at the moment. I feel that he's the transition is really coming along a pace. I think switching coaches has been a great, great yes. move. Speaking of Paula Radcliffe, because obviously you can't talk about Mo without speaking about coaching, without speaking about Paula, her record lives to fight another day because Mary Katani cannot get it right (laughs) do you think she'll break that record no no you don't think she's got it in her absolutely not she's got it in her no I don't think she has because that's the distinction the thing is there's there's so many things going on here number one is she fast enough to break that record no she's not Number two, is she smart enough to break that record? I mean, run smart she's enough to break that record. No, she not doesn't. Smart and I think it's, it. I think people keep going on about, oh, someone's going to break Paula's record. It, Paula's record. You forget what an athlete Paula was and the way she ran. Even when she was on the track, she was always a person setting the pace, yeah. going out there. But she was smart as well. She never ran too. F- you, did you ever see Paula die? No. no. She might have got out kicked, but she never died because she's a really smart athlete as well as being super talented and working super hard. Mary Katani is obviously ridiculously talented, but she, m- m- more times than not, messes up. Remember when she went in New York and tried to run under 220 in New York? And like, that's not, New York's not a fast course. You're never, that is basically uphill for the yeah. whole second half. Ridiculous. She's not, she doesn't think smartly in a marathon. And this was a perfect, perfect example. Way too fast. Tunis went with her, and mm-hmm. which blew was, up. blew up totally. And the person who played it smart came home and won. Um, we were all looking at Vivian I mean we all know Vivian Cherry obviously on the track she's been amazing she had a debut last year in London was it in London? yeah so, came fourth and she ran 2.22 or something it was a quite a decent mm. quite a decent um, uh, opener but that just proves how important it is to get things right in a marathon how much can we blame that on Katani's coach and staff and her managers then if she's going to New York and trying to run sub 2.20 if she's going 36 seconds inside the world record <laughs> at 10 miles which she did in London on a hot summer's day but you think she's got the legs to push that record, if not necessarily break it, but she's obviously not got the nous. Surely someone who knows how to run a marathon should then step in as a technical director or something and go, Mary, listen, I don't care how good you feel at five miles or ten miles or fifteen miles, but I'm going to write it on your hand, you're going to wear a garment and you're going to run these splits and then you could do some damage. Why isn't someone getting involved? Well, she's got Paula's that women's only record, hasn't she? Yes. She got that, was it last year she got yeah. that? Which... Is huge because that that record at the time. Remember how groundbreaking it was when she when Paula did that. And when when she beat that, I thought, ah, oh, put some men pacemakers in there, and that can give her the extra two minutes potentially to do. So when when this was happening, I didn't think it was out of the realms of possibility. That's mm. what I mean by the fact she's got the talent. If you've got the talent to beat the women's only with the male pacemakers, I don't like that male pacemaker thing. But with the male pacemakers involved, you would think she could get close to it. But as we saw. It's not about the, the talent necessarily. You've got to run it smartly, which clearly she can't do. But the other thing is about the, about the marathon and the pacemakers in the men's as well. Why? Who are these pacemakers? Who's telling them to go at these ridiculous speeds? Mm. If you're trying to break Paula's world record, which everyone recognises is one of the most iconic world records, why you want to be 35 seconds inside at halfway? Be on pace at halfway and try and close yeah. quicker. Although you're not going to close quicker than Paula. But like, <laughs> it's just, it's all upside down. It shows a lack of respect for the record and for the weather and for the, and for the course and for your competitors. Weird. And the thing about Mary Katani is, she's, I recently, and I could be wrong, please tell me if I am. She, I think she's way older than I she's thought she was. She's five or six. Yeah, yeah. She's and she's six. been around for quite a while now. But we're talking eight, ten years maybe, which means we probably didn't really hear of her until she was in her late twenties. Yeah. Um, but I, I suppose in my head I thought she was like 21, 22 when she came around. So mm. when you're 36, the likelihood of you actually getting fast... I mean, it's not you can't, but when you hit that high, you're not yeah. likely to get much faster. You know? She runs like a 21-year-old. Yeah. Too fast, you're headstrong. And I think, yeah, she's just quite exuberant, isn't she? She thinks, I'm feeling good, great. But a marathon isn't about feeling good the whole time. Can I just say something else about... We were talking earlier on about people's hair. Mary Katani's hair and Tierney Stubauer's hair drove me mad the whole race flapping about what like I don't get it have you not heard of a, like a double scrunchie <laughs> <laughs> so annoying really gave me the heebie-jeebies <laughs> <laughs> flapping about all sweaty horrible cutting edge journalism here at Backstreet Boys <laughs> HQ <laughs> important journalising hi I'm Greg Rutherford and you're listening to the Backstreet Boys 
You're a pro, aren't you? Well, you know. <laughs> Diamond League, with its complexities and its frustrations <laughs> and its swathes of athletes in identical kit, <laughs> is back. Let's just put to wide side one for one moment our dislike of the... Well, not dislike, our total incomprehension with the format. <laughs> yeah? And just, can I say, that first Diamond League in Doha is... Well, it... I think I'm safe in saying it, it was the best athletics meeting that I can imagine remember for a long, long time. Amazing. And it will be the best athletics meeting of the year by the end of the year. Yes. It cannot... If, if we have a better athletics meeting than that, better performances, I will eat my hat, as they say. <laughs> I'll eat my, my scrunchie. Um, <laughs> it was just jaw-dropping. Performance after performance after performance was like at the Olympics. And it was like Olympic-level performances, wasn't it? But what was so frustrating was it was the first seat one of the year. I missed it. Even though I knew it was on, I forgot it was on, and I'd gone for a walk, and a bayo called me, and I had to run home, and I missed the beginning of it, so it was all a bit disjointed for me. So that was, that was my fault. But once again, the Diamond just kind of just randomly start. I agree. No build-up, no kind of introduction to it. It's just on, and now it's going to be on for indeterminate times for D- that different days <laughs> but let's, let's not get into that I was just like... saying so it was just a little bit spoilt for me yeah. because it just came out of nowhere for this it'd be great if this is the level we can get all year and we get some build up into it and we yes. can follow the story mm. but it just it was a little bit just I mean my fault but it, if it happens every year I just forget it's on what was your favourite performance of the evening if you had to pick one? Oh, oh whoa the <laughs> men's Javelin, yeah, yes. with three people having to say yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the um, the men's uh, javelin. I think had three people over ninety, not just three people, three Germans over yeah. ninety. Imagine being the fourth ranked German thrower at the moment. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's just like crazy. When when did that? I don't think it's ever happened. happened. It's no, the I'm not first sure it's time ever that two athletes have thrown over ninety-one and a half meters in a competition. But is it the first time ever? Three people have gone over 90 metres in one competition. I think so, yeah. Um, Very possibly. We'll, we'll find out. But um, that feels like back to that the early, mid-90s when you've got Steve Backley and Jens mm. Leslie you know, throwing those crazy things, which we didn't really see for them. We didn't see consistently, you know. I mean, the men's javelin in the last couple of years has just been jaw-dropping, hasn't it? Thomas Roller is targeting 100 metres. Mm. He came out at the start of the season and said that he wants to be the first person to throw a three-figure javelin. With the new javelin, because Uwe Hom did it before, which is why they changed the regulation of, of the javelin, mm. which is why it won't go that far nowadays, apparently. But what's so interesting is the javelin is the new triple jump yeah. from 2015, but the triple jump's now the triple jump from 2015 as well, <laughs> <Yeah>. because because <laughs> <laughs> PPP's back, 1795, and Christian Taylor, 1781, so that's going to be really hot, hot um, again and that was a brilliant year when they were both on, on great form and was it 2014 when it was the high jump that was was yes, it have I got those years had along well and oh my gosh so many names who were all pushing at 240 exactly Barsham's back to jumping 240 again yeah <laughs> yes he <laughs> as is he does, as he does every year took um, the bar home with him which if I'm <laughs> honest I'm going to tire of that as a gimmick if it he doesn't cool. break the world record but also it was fun the first time but it can't be doing very much for his baggage allowance <laughs> <laughs> well he was in he was in Doha so oh he doesn't have to take it speaking of baggage Alicia Newman with every single one of her poles broken yeah, and I mean, then Eric actually tweeted Air Canada in disgust and they got back to her saying, oh, let us know what we can do to help or oh, we'll make sure that we compensate. I mean, that's just far too little too How late. How do you break poles? I know, every single one of them. Because <laughs> they're not, they're quite tough. Mm. Um, the other thing I think kind of went under the radar uh, um, in Doha was, um, I, I'm not going to get his name right, Abdemeran Samba? Ooh, oh my God. That... From Qatar. Yeah. 47.57 in the 400 hurdles. But we don't see those kind of times anymore. No, I, mean, I don't remember the last time someone... It, when someone does like a 47.7, we're like, ooh, aren't we? Well, we did last year, Kyman McMaster said. And, and we were like, oh, because he seemed really fast in comparison to... Yeah. And Kyman McMaster's came third in that race. I mean, he'd just come off the, the Commonwealth, Commonwealth so mm. it, it's understandable. But those two together, and Bashawn Jackson came second <laughs> out of nowhere. It's his last year. They were quite far back, though. But... um. That's going to be the young people coming through who are going to run, hopefully run very fast. But like you said, that's so interesting because we haven't seen those sorts of times in ages, as indicated by the fact that that's only the 18th fastest of all time. Mm. 400 hurdles, you're right, there's been such a dip in quality People recently. run in 47s or even 46s in the 80s, I'm correct in saying, am I not? Well, 46 is only one person on 46. Sure, yeah, that's that was, yeah, so that was 93. Um, but um, Ed Moses was running yeah. really, really low mm. 47s all that way back, Danny Harris, etc. Samuel um, Matati. Samuel Matati, exactly. And then we've had this huge, huge dip in, 
you know, we're used to people running low 48s and high 47s is, is mm. thought of as good these days, but it's up, the world record is like more than a second quicker But you know, that, one so. of the things I want to say about the four hurdles is there's a lack of basic technique Absolutely. going on. Like you get people, who, where's the Ed Moses? Where is the Kevin Young? Those very tall, long-legged, take big strides and hurdle. Yeah. Like they, they, nowadays, the women's worse because there's a, they don't need to have so much technique because they're hot. They're so low. They're so low. But the men's, there's a lack of, I mean, someone like um, Keon Clement, who is the double Olympic champion, yeah. world champion, um, can't hurdle on his left leg. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the basic thing to do in the four hurdles. Mm-hmm. And think how amazing he could be if he could change legs quickly and had like had that those choices to make. Because we've seen him run a cracking 200, 300 metres yeah. and then have a complete blow up when he gets fatigued towards the end and he's only got one pattern. <laughs> he is the prime example of the type of person who could do that back in the yeah. day, as you're saying, that, that very, very tall, very rangy, mm. um, long-legged. And then you've got the opposite, which is Bashan Jackson, who's like probably my height, like about eight or something. <laughs> also Felix it? Sanchez. He was technically perfect. He wasn't big. No, no. But what I'm mm. saying is, we've, we've had like him. we've had um, mm. Kevin Clement could do that if he could t- turn it out, and um, but Sean Jackson has is a lot lot shorter. We want someone who can combine those two <laughs> things and do it, do it together. He has got me? long legs and is very good over the quarter mile. Is Stephen Gardner? <gasps> oh, we talk about that for a minute. Right. So I, uh, the I'm going to sound ridiculous here because we apparently know lots about athletics. Stephen Gardner has gone t- totally past me by. I vaguely remember a tall um, guy from Bahamas who we like to watch run, but he was a world championship and Olympic medalist. Ooh. <laughs> Sorry. Which I find bizarre that he's <laughs> because I've been a really big fan of his for a few years. Like, he's such an elegant runner. Yeah, he's, he's amazing. He's beautiful form. And he's really quick, but he's someone who I think will always run a blinder of a heat, but with all the drama of the Van Nika. That's what I think. That's absolutely yeah. what's happened. Absolutely and Isaac Lequala and these other big names and dramas and sick bugs and stuff flying around. <laughs> he flies under the radar and you don't notice it. And then because he's not winning, it's quite easy to miss him. Well, he's certainly come out this year and made everyone notice him. And I think he's not one of the big, he's not a big personality. No. Um, I literally couldn't have picked him out of a lineup until um, Doha. So I hold my hands up. I'm <laughs> a bit embarrassed about that. But what, what a talent. And he ran 19.75 a month ago, mm. over 200 metres. So I think he's now the double national record holder. Definitely one to watch. Definitely. Um, let's move on, because we've got so, so many to talk mm. about here. Um, Sandra Perkovic. Yes. What was it? 71.38. How yeah. much did that mean she won the competition by? Uh, she won by five metres. But, um, that, but that's her second best ever. I think her best ever came in a small competition. It's, it's, a, it's a Diamond League record, I believe. Um Sandra Perkovic, every year, I think she's very underrated. Totally. Mm. She gets she gets um, totally... There's people in more um, flashy events yeah. that get more notice. And then, obviously, in the Hammer, you've got Anita Vlodicic, who gets more attention as well in the, for the throws. Sandra Perkovic, day in, day out, is one of the most consistent and best athletes of the last decade. And it's very underrated. It's also... Um, unfair to her which is true of course, of course across so many women's events where we can notice that that's an amazing time but anyone who doesn't really know the sport that well will look at it and think oh right. world record six metres six and uh, metres further than that you know so but we know that was 30 years ago an entirely different um, yeah and know, Gabriella Wrench isn't going isn't to didn't win anything <laughs> barely, barely even went to any competition <laughs> um, so yeah that was just just jaw-dropping but there were so many um, we should like, we need to move on to the next one now which yeah. was yesterday wasn't it it was only yesterday in Shanghai mm-hmm. uh, dipping quality um, performance wise the weather was cold it was raining etc people have got, gone across the other side of the world but still a pretty good meeting you know pretty good performances and certainly enjoyable yeah I mean from a British perspective Reese Prescott oh mm. <laughs> where did that come from what I loved about that was I saw him in the race and I thought Oh, you know, he, he did well last year, you know, but he's yeah. in lane nine, which was to be expected. And we all just assumed, because he's on that ninth outside lane, your eye doesn't go to it, yeah. does it? So yes. when Bing Su Bing Tan is his name, yeah. um, he, to, in my head, he'd won by about half a metre, you know? <laughs> and then you could see, like, when you're on the replay, like, oh, hang on, because you, your eye doesn't go to that ninth lane, does it? I didn't even notice Reese come second, to be honest. But what was, what... It's just what it really highlights for me is the depth of British sprinters at the moment. Reese yes. Prescott was not in the relay team last year. No. We could have a we could have Reese in the we could have we've got a whole 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 of the relay team. Yeah, who is of all of them the, the highest caliber sprinters? Yeah. But Reese came out last year. He wasn't 
well known beforehand, gets to the World Championship final, come out this year, he's going to back it up, yeah. which is brilliant. Yeah, because yeah. that's and, what we've been lacking in British sprinting is consistency. Mm. He did one hundredth of a second off his PB in that awful in weather. Awful weather, having travelled all the way to Shanghai was, in the first race mm, of the year. He was great. Afterwards, someone asked him how he felt about the win, and he said, "Oh, I saw the weather, and I was the only person in that field who had gone yes." <laughs> he, he trains in the Midlands, where there's just a perennial rain cloud. So to him, it was he was right at home, and good for him for not letting the occasion get the better of him because he was lining up against Romel Guliev, Justin Gatlin, boo, Andrew de Grasse, you know, the 60-metre sensation that is Su Bing Tian. And he just thought, you know what, I'm in lane nine, doesn't matter. CJ, who was a Diamond League League. champion last year. And the the other thing about Reese winning that, I mean, obviously he was a World Championship finalist, but coming out winning that, he means he's going to get into every race he wants to get into this summer, which makes a massive difference to have that experience and obviously, hopefully, in better conditions, if he can run 10.04 in those conditions, yeah. that's hopefully one under 10 it seconds. It would be nice, too, because we've, obviously we've had the Commonwealth Games where lots of British people were competing, but we've got, we've got those ones who weren't. So it's good to see Reese and CJ and that coming out early Definitely. who weren't competing And that there. keeps them right at the forefront of the minds of selectors. Absolutely, 100%. Because I always argue that too few British people do enough Diamond Leagues. Yeah, totally. We just don't really see them on the Diamond League second no. the way that you do Americans or, you know, um, um, certainly like Jamaicans, etc. British people who've only got like a hundred or so miles to go to, to places <laughs> yeah. um, are busy training in, you know, Sheffield or something rather than being out on the, in the Diamond League. I'd really like it if we have British sprinters, Nathaniel did last week as well, didn't he? Um, actually showing themselves and mixing it. Now we've got those proper world-class sprinters and a lot of them as well. It's really mm. exciting. Two women sub 44 in the women's four hurdles. Mm. Well, it was nice because Denise Russell won the Commonwealth Games. Yes. And I talked to her after the semi-final. And she'd, she was one-tenth of her personal best yeah. in her second race of the year. And I said to her, oh, you'll definitely be under 54 in the final. But everyone was a bit slower in the final. But to come out to run her new, massive new PB um, mm. um, and to run the Olympic champion so close, that was very interesting. Delilah Mohammed is a very technically very good hurdler she's very but, talented but she's inconsistent mm-hmm. but neither of them are the world number one are they no of course no. not <laughs> we've got an 18 year old as the world number one so let's see how, how that um, lasts to the end of the season something interesting happened yesterday so um, Katrin Ibogwem won the um, triple jump in 1480 mm-hmm. great you know we, we moan about all these triple jump because the quality has been pretty poor for a long long yes. time now um, and it's um, so she comes at 1480 in May really good to see but the world number one was taken by an American yesterday a new American record I can't remember her name um, of course not of course, of course <laughs> it's just it's just come to because you know, I should have looked at beforehand but an uh, American woman yesterday took a new American record of um, 1482 um, wow America have never had a properly world class triple jump. No, not on the um, side. No, of Sheila Hudson. Sheila Hudson. Would, yeah. her, she would. She would jump like 15, 14, 50, 60 maybe. Um, back ten or ten or more years ago. Twenty probably was it? Um, but think think all the records that Americans had. How many great long jumpers? How many great sprinters? Mm. The fact they've never really had a properly world class Couture um, or something. Couture something what? The American triple jumper is it her? I've got no idea. I'll look it up. So. Yeah. Um, the, um, so the fact that they've actually got a world-class triple jumper is kind of interesting. It's yeah. one, of, one of the only events where I think Britain's national record would be yeah faster than the Americans. Certainly in like you know a jumping event. Mm. And talking about the jumps, Luvo Manyonga. Yeah. <gasps> I love. He I, is I mean, flying. I'm probably going to talk about him every part of this year <laughs> because he's my new favourite athlete. I'm not going to stop you. He is awesome to come out in those awful conditions. Mm. Like at this point, it was torrential rain. Yeah. The new, um, the Chinese guy, and I get mixed up with the Chinese long jumpers because they're, they're, there's new ones all the time. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, I think this one's only only um, 19, I think I think they said. Um, Yu Hao Shi. Um, he jumped 8.43, which for this day and age is a phenomenal jump. And you thought, ah. Oh. And then yeah. Luvo jumped the same. Mm-hmm. And he's the second head. Uh, he, so he had to jump. His second jump had to be better to win. No, he doesn't even bother about the second jump. Jumps 8.56. In atrocious conditions. Yeah. And once again, he's always smiling. He is. I really Six like him. of those nine athletes went over eight metres. I feel the quality, the depth of those fields is just really coming alive. So Greg Rutherford, and you know, <laughs> we're so used to him being able to produce these fantastic championship leaps, you know, going over that eight metre mark, pushing up towards kind of the 820s, maybe yeah. 830s on a good day. That's no longer enough for a medal. Mm. Mm. 
Um, just to quickly interject, um, the lady's name from America who set the um, American record in the triple jump is Tori Franklin. Oh. Not ne- quite a long way away with yeah. Ventura. <laughs> there is a good... There is a... <laughs> I got the distance wrong as well. It's 1484. Wow. So 1484, that's a great jump of a May for an American. But there is an American triple jumper called Kachura Oji or something who indoors jumps really well. So maybe there's more than one, or maybe I just made all that up. Maybe they're finally wising up because we've been discussing this. Saying yeah. that that's, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. We were having this exact thing last week, weren't we? The calibre isn't high enough in the competitions at the moment. So if you're athletic, if you can run and jump, why not have a go at changing, you know, changing up your events, especially in a US team where there's such competition yeah, for places. Totally. Become a triple jumper. There are medals up for grabs. There are spots on that roster. Go see the world. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to the Backstreet Boys. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Someone else we have to talk about at the Diamond League was Casta Semenya. Yes. Yes, back um, in Doha, of course. Back around 359.92. Once again, a new um, South African record beating Zola Budd's record. Really? <laughs> really? Did Zola Budd have a South African record? Yeah, she did. Because I assumed she was only for Britain by then. You know what's really interesting? I was thinking about this. I saw that result and I was overjoyed because I love, as we all do, Casta Semenya. Laura Muir can run four and a bit seconds faster than that. But I, in my head, I just thought if those two raced, my money would be on... Casta Semenya. Mm. Why is that? Can you explain my thinking to me? Well, I think Casta's very good. She's very strong at the end of the race. Can she stay with Laura at a 356 pace? We don't know because she's not been tested over 1500 if you yet. just had the two of them on the start line, I'd be fascinated to see how they'd run it. But that's the good thing about 1500s. It's not just two people in a race. And that's what makes it so exciting because yes. there's so many different tactics going on. We know Jenny Simpson's going to run it totally different to Laura Muir. Mm-hmm. She's going to run it totally different to Casta Semenya. Um, so that's the intrigue of the 1500 and I think on the women's side we actually have seen that a lot more than on the men's yes, recently definitely. there's been so many different things going on it's been so exciting I think having Casa Semenya in the 15 is really actually a real attribute it's a really adds to the event because we don't we don't know how she's going to run it and she, I don't think she knows how no. she's going to run it yet either mm. so to see those different things going on with her in the mix is very exciting well I think the question there is and something we'll briefly discuss is how much longer are we going to have Casa Semenya yeah. run in the 1500 um, obviously, there's these new rules being brought in by the IWF, which, to be honest, I'm, listen, I'm not going to get too into this. I'm not a scientist, and I don't feel properly equipped to discuss in a scientific manner. Yeah, but, I, wish, I wish more people would admit to that, because yeah, everyone's got an opinion on totally. this without knowing anything mm. about so, anything. So, to put it very, very um, briefly, new rules being brought in, which basically are going to ban Casta Semenya from, yes. from running. Um, Claire, maybe you can sort of cl- clarify the actual um, what's actually happening in the new rules. Essentially, Casa Semenya, poor thing, has been dragged through debacle after debacle since the age of 18 in 2009 when there was the first controversy over the fact that she was being tested to ascertain exactly which gender she should be classified under during the World Championships. Um, it was then decided that she could compete at the women's events and then it was decided for a bit that she couldn't because her testosterone levels were too elevated for, I suppose, what the IWF deemed was a fair level. How they decided that, I don't know. So she took some drugs to suppress her natural testosterone levels. We don't levels. actually know that happened, do we? Don't well, we were assuming it, it happened. Assumed. Because yeah. it had a massive effect on her times and she disappeared off the scene for a bit. That was then changed because a study came out that said that, by Peter Sankson, that testosterone gaps between men and women disappears in elite athletes. It actually has the biggest event, effect on events such as hammer and shot and pole vault. So sort of the more explosive events. And that it didn't really have an effect over these middle distance um, disciplines, at which point Caster, we assume, came off whatever it was that she was taking and is now back in fine, fine form, only for the IWF to pull a massive U-turn, which Sebco has described as appropriate for the sport. It's going to affect athletes between the 400 and the mile and combined events. The interesting thing was, if I remember correctly, the study didn't even mention the 1500. The, the study said that in the women's it was the shot, the pole vault, the yep. 400, hammer, hammer, 400 and 800. The biggest, the biggest thing was the hammer. Yeah. Um, but they've only brought it in for um, events between 400 and 1500. They plonked 1500 on the end to stop Casta Semenya. Yeah. So this is what I say when I say it's rules been brought in simply to stop Casta Semenya, mm. which is Disgraceful, yeah. you know. I am not going to get into the science of it. The only thing I'm going to say on this matter is, doesn't seem to be that anybody has a proper handle on what the rule should be or no. how you can properly um, bring a rule in that is fair to everybody. 
And until you can bring a rule in this fair to everybody, you cannot bring in a rule at all. And what you absolutely cannot do is bring in a rule that is very specifically targeted at one person. There are those who will say that it also affects athletes like Francine Neon Saba and Margaret Wambui. But I think what is completely inarguable is that Casa Semenya has become poor thing, the poster girl. But the other thing, this. we don't know. This is, the, this is the problem I have with all of this. We don't know about Francine Neon Sabo or um, I'm booing. we don't and, know this and neither should we and not exactly no, neither should we and we don't even know the, in, the, the specifics of Casta Semenya no. all you read on forums is like oh she's this she's that we don't know I and mean, nor should we know because it's a personal thing also throughout the whole history of sport the whole history of sport there have been women who they, sport is binary you're male you're female life is not and as we, bec- as we begin to understand that more, it does create a problem in a binary sport. Well put. Yeah. Mm. So, but for sport to just jump on a bandwagon, we've had women throughout the history of sport, and we can all name some. We won't. We probably. won't. <laughs> but we all know, well, we, some, we, some we, we do know about, and others we don't, but we can guess. They've competed in the sport, and what's happened with a lot of people, if there's been suspicions, someone's had a quiet word and they've disappeared. Yeah. I know athletes that that's yes. happened to. So... That's not going to happen anymore. Politically, it can't happen anymore. Socially, it can't happen anymore. Casta Semenya, as all, she's, she's so dignified. So dignified. And so unapologetic, because she's got nothing to apologise for. Of course. And she says, this is, how, this is me, this is who I am. It's up for them to deal with it. And, and it's a difficult subject. But you're right, Bayo, you cannot just bring in rules that, that target one person. The, the study that was done by the British Medical Journal... Yes. Um, ...said the biggest discrepancy was in the hammer. No one's, no one's been stopped no. anybody doing the hammer. And also, those statistics were taken from the 2011-2013 World Championships. Now, unless there was a significant amount of women with elevated testosterone in those championships... The sample size is the sample tiny. Size is tiny. So how do, you, how do we know? Um, I can say they totally shot themselves in the foot because what you just said about people having a quiet word and people disappearing from the sport, which absolutely happened, and I know examples... Um, they shot themselves totally in the foot by announcing at the 2009 World Championships or having leaking the information about Casta Semenya because if it hadn't become this worldwide like controversy maybe someone might have heard a word and maybe she would have gone and done something else but because once that I love the fact that she's totally unapologetic about it and it's basically she's saying I'm not going to solve your problem for you you know and that means we have a problem, but that means we have a problem that someone's going to have to come up with a proper solution to and not these kind of like back-of-envelope nonsense we've because got at the moment. maybe she does have an advantage. It's a natural advantage. Mm. The same way as if you're a tall person or if you're strong, there's lots of advantages that elite sports people have over each other. Paula said something the other day about how um, um, women were lining up on, on the start line knowing they can't win. Well, how do you think all the marathon runners felt lining up against Paula? They know you couldn't win because she was physically better than them. No one suggested she should be banned because mm. she had a bigger lung. I don't, I'm not, I don't know nothing about the physiology of it. Of course. But, so why is it just this one thing that we're trying to prescribe? And I completely empathise if you are, for example, Melissa Bishop, mm. who walked off the track having set a national record 100%. after the Rio final and finishing fourth behind three athletes who are now definitely under enormous scrutiny yeah. with regards to their testosterone levels. Obviously that's really difficult really frustrating but you cannot use that as a scapegoat for your own performances and I think some of just occasionally an athlete will come out with a, obviously born out of frustration and in the yeah. moment a comment that really doesn't help the situation and I think that it's the dignified silence of Casa Semenya which is what makes me even more empathetic to her cause and just very quickly because we should kind of wrap this up Casa Semenya's times are not so fast that other people can't beat them She's not. She's only just in the world top ten every year. I know there's probably some dodgy ones in there, but if other people are running fifty fives and being beaten, then I kind of have more sympathy than if you're on fifty sevens and fifty eights and still be beaten because there have always been women who can beat you at those times. So the fact that you can be beaten by Casta Semenya, I don't have as much sympathy for. You know, tough. Here's to hoping that the testosterone lynching circus moves on. Um, but the, the positive we can... Sorry, I hope that Casta moves up to the 10,000. That's what I was just oh, about sorry, to say. Claire. No, it's fine. Great mind, eh? Yeah, let's see her move up to the 5 and the 10. And let's see what they do. Are they just going to widen the parameters? Because that's what they've done with this one. Would be hilarious. <laughs> take two. Okay, take two. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to the Backstreet Boys. Yay! <laughs> now, onto a part of our show which 
we must apologise for because we do not keep up to date with this as much as we should, okay? So we always ask you to do your um, rate and review us, you know? Subscribe, yes. also rate and review us. And if mm-hmm. you rate and review us, we will give prizes out to our favourite reviews. That hasn't quite happened as it should. <laughs> <laughs> when did we last send something? January? We have... Um, so I'm going to apologise first of all to people who are awaiting their prizes, okay? They are here. We're sat at the moment in Jodie's living room and there are prizes literally there by the door okay they are on their way i promise and i apologize so don't make that stop you um rating reviewers please do it and just to show how willing we are i'm going to read out two more today and we're going to send two, two more prizes to Ooh. our um to our lovely listeners hi it's kjt and you're listening to the backstreet boys so the first one is from helen met and um, it says i'm so glad i found this podcast finally there is someone or a few out there who likes athletics as much as me Listening to these guys gives me an insight I never would have had, and it's darn good fun to listen to. They brighten my day any time I listen to them, and my highlight is the Jasmine Sawyer's interview. Well done, Claire. Thanks, um, Helen. More, please. So thanks ever so much, Helen. Um, can you PM us, and we will send something in the post to you? Also, from Rich HL, who says, The in-depth interviews are informative and enjoyable. The previews and reviews of the events are knowledgeable. The presenters are fans with a deep, evident love for our sport. That is true. <laughs> um, so thank you ever so much for those. Keep up the rates and reviews. They're both five-star reviews there. Yeah. Oh, lovely. Because I have to say, you're not getting a prize if it's anything less than a five-star <laughs> review. Um, so thank you very much. And we apologise for not having sent stuff before. But as you know, we've been literally all around the world. There will be stuff winging its way to you soon. Um, DM us on Twitter. So that's at Backstraight B. Um, so it's Backstraight B on Twitter. Um, send us a message and we will um, send some prizes to you. I'm Asha Phillip and you're listening to the Backstreet Boys. Just to wrap up this week, um, the marathon season has finished, the Diamond League started, but there's an event on this weekend that we kind of love a little bit more. Which is the night of the 10,000 PBs. Right. Um, this, this year, it's actually incorporating the European Team Championships. Or no, it's the European 10K. 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 Yeah, 10K. Yeah, so it's incorporating that. So it's actually quite a big deal. Um, quite a lot of cups doing the rounds as well. Otherwise, <laughs> I believe it sounds like quite a fun evening. I've never it's managed a, to go. It's so good. And it is exactly how athletics should be. They've just decided that 10,000s aren't boring. Yeah. People might actually want to watch them. And it's true, 6,000 people turn up. It's totally free. You just turn up. It's at Highgate Track. There's bands. There's a fly past by the RAF. There's, um, there's most importantly, a beer tent. Um, it's really close as well. You can move right in onto the track. Mm. So you're, they, there's, you're in lane three. Everyone's cheering. People from all around the communities come. It's a really, really good event. So That's I really encourage everyone. That's a high standard, isn't yes. it? But what, they've done, what they've done brilliantly is they've said, we're going to take this event. We're going to specialise on it. And we're going to make it fun. Yeah. Mm. You know, they've literally, it's, it's, they've decided 10Ks are fun. So everyone who goes along is already ready to have fun. You know, there's barbecues, there's, as you say, there's this brilliant bit where they have a tent over the track. It's like a beer tent over the track. Oh, so I wish I could go. The, the, the runners run through the beer tent while everyone's like drinking beer and cheering them on. It's just brilliant. It, I cannot rave about it enough, genuinely. And also, like, last year, Seb Coe was there, Paula Radcliffe was there, Ronnie O'Sullivan, who's a really big running right. fan, he was there. They had a question and answer. I think Pres- President Sven's going to be there this year, yeah. because it's the European Cup as well. Mm. There'll be some big names from other European countries taking part. It's also the British Championships. I'm not sure if it's the trials for the Europeans or I'm not. Sure, no. I, I haven't heard it is, so, so maybe it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a really fun event um, at Highbury Track on s- Saturday the 19th. 19th. Um, it, it actually goes on all day. I, I think it starts around two. There's some school races. The beer tent opens at five minutes past three. Five minutes past three. Very important. And, <laughs> and then the later races are on, on in the evening. So I really encourage everyone to, to come down there. The Backstreet Boys will be there. We might be doing some interviews with a few people. Ooh. We might have a special guest who you haven't heard from for, yeah. for, a, for a while. <laughs> You'll be pleased to hear from. Um, so please come down on, on Saturday. Come and say hi if you see us. And we really look forward to seeing you. This is Jason Gardiner and you're listening to the Backstreet Boys. You have a little bit of a uh, clash though, don't you, Bear? Oh dear. I do have a bit of a clash. Um, so, Night of 10,000 10Ks. Obviously, I'm very excited that the beer tent opens at three minutes past five minutes past three. My favourite thing about this whole recording session is that we've forgotten about seven or eight international athletes' names, but you know to the minute <laughs> when the beer tent opens. 
But the problem is, I have the Hackley Half Marathon the next morning. So you do? How are you going to handle that? I don't know. Now, I've just done a 10-mile run, which is ridiculous for me. I haven't done a 10-mile run in forever. So the mm. fact I just did a 10-mile run on a treadmill um, and I finished, and it was totally fine. Great. So that's making me feel better about next week. I also asked on Twitter whether beer was good for carb loading. Um, and I had <laughs> Let me some... read your tweet. I've got it here. It says, genuine question. <laughs> and he put it two night of uh, 10k PBs is on Saturday night, but I'm going to do the Hackney Half on Sunday morning. Is beer drinking conductive to a good one? Um, I'm thinking it's like carb loading, right? And he tagged in Paula Radcliffe, Joe Pavey, Callum Hawkins and Tom Bosworth. But you, you, <laughs> but you got some good replies. Joe Pavey had some very sage advice. Oh, yeah. She said, it might not be optimal preparation. <laughs> That's the most tactical note. <laughs> She's not too sure. Before a race, I tend to opt for potatoes, pasta or rice for carbs. Let me know how you get on. <laughs> Now this is a more um, this this is a fun one as well. Tim Hutchins, who knows a thing or two about um, running long distances, he says, "Ask Dave Bedford on second hand on second thoughts, don't." Because <laughs> <laughs> you know what the answer will be. Um, we, you can ask Dave. Dave will be there um, on on Saturday night. And then this was my favourite. Someone sent you an obituary of um, a distance runner called Andy Holden. He he was a very he was a big name distance runner in the seventies. And he was the winner of the, of the Bermuda Marathon. But the obituary, um, it's fine. Andy Holden was an athlete whose heroic consumption of ale did nothing to stop him winning. <laughs> and it says, in an era when the enthusiastic amateur could still excel in athletics, that's you. Me. Holden, a dentist by profession, managed to compete at the highest level without sacrificing his passion for re- real ale. He reputedly drank 10 pints of beer the night before winning the Bermuda Marathon in 1979. 10 pints? Yes. <laughs> a race which saw him bro- break Ron Hill's course record and beat a world-class field, including Charlie Spedding. So maybe it's your secret weapon. Okay, Mixed my, my, messages. My, my, my new hero. Uh, I'll see how it goes. And I will let you know next week whether I crash and burn or like set a new world record. Yeah? But there's no excuse for not having a few beers at the night of... 10,000 PBs. Yeah, but you have to pick me up or scrape me up off the Hackney floor. Then, um... <laughs> Actually, I have to say, the Hackney Hope Marathon goes past my house, so if anything goes horribly wrong, I can, I'm going to take my... Out. Well, I'm going to take my key with me and keep it in my shorts, <laughs> so if anything goes too horribly wrong, I'll just pop back But down. I did the Hackney Marathon at Half Marathon a couple of years ago, and while I was running round, you... Well, you don't, he, he hadn't come in from the night before he was there <laughs> I was still at a party <laughs> and he brought the whole party up to cheer me up <laughs> and they gave me a bottle of beer <laughs> I had a swig I couldn't <laughs> so this is um, maybe don't take our advice if you're going to run marathons but um, it might be a bit of fun From elite level marathon running to the Hackney Heart. <laughs> it's been so much fun chatting about athletics. Really hope you enjoyed it. Please do let us know your thoughts. There are prizes to be won. So rate, review and subscribe on whichever podcasting platform you use to access the Backstraight Boys and Girl. And uh, we look forward to recording at a place or... <laughs> oh. <laughs> it was going so well. I was just thinking, God, she's really good. That's so eloquent. <laughs> and we look forward to... Offering up our next Athletics Smorgas board. You can get in touch on Twitter as well, of course, at Backstraight B or at Claire underscore G Thomas. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.